the topic I want to speak about this morning is judgment. Judgment. So normally, when some people hear the word judgment, they immediately think it's a bad thing. But the word in itself actually just means to make a decision or to make a decree. So you can make a good decision and reap the benefits of that, or you can make a bad decision and reap the consequences of that. Now, the Bible is a book that is a collection of actually many, many books, all right? And it was written almost 2,000 years back, and even some of the books are older than that. So there's so many interpretations of the Bible these days and doctrines going around, and I think we're all still learning to grow and learn the perfect interpretation of everything in the Bible. We're all still learning. Nobody has arrived yet. But one thing I've learned, because the Bible was written so many years back, the way those people understood the Bible and the words that were written to them, it's a completely different from how we understand it today. So we need, when you interpret the Bible, you need to go back and see what was the culture back then, what was their perspective. How did they understand the words that were written to them? For example, if you take something back then and you want to interpret it into our culture, you're going to get it wrong. Because it had a different meaning to those people back then. And a lot of stuff in the Bible is still applicable to us today. Like our identity in Christ, who God is, it's still very much applicable to us today. But there were also certain words written, prophecies, some prophecies, some terms that were used that were only applicable to the generation it was written to. And we need to discern that. So I want to make an example. If you take Revelation 21 verse 1, it says there, I see a new heaven and earth. And it says, the first heaven and earth have passed away and there's no more sea. Now, if you take that and you want to interpret that into our culture today, how we understand heaven and earth, we see this as the earth, we, see the, we know heaven is the spiritual realm, and we know the sea is where we swim. That's how we understand it. But to the Jews, they didn't understand it like that. They understood heaven and earth as the temple. The holy of holies was heaven, the holy place was earth, and then they had a molten sea where the priests washed themselves before they entered into the holy place. So when John says the first heaven and earth have passed away, there's no more sea, he was talking about the temple, the destruction of the temple. And the Jews understood it like that. Okay, another example, if you look at Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking, he's prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, before it happened. And he gave all these signs. And he says there at one point, he speaks about the great tribulation. Now again, if you take that prophecy and you want to interpret that into our culture today, that's why there are still some people waiting for a great tribulation to happen. They're still waiting for an antichrist to rise up. But if you just read further down in Matthew 24, it speaks about, Jesus spoke to his disciples, he says, in your generation all these will come to pass. So again, that was a prophecy specifically written to that generation. We can maybe learn from that and see how they responded to that prophecy, but it's not applicable to us. So the point that I want to make is there's certain words and certain terms written that add a specific meaning to that generation. And you need to go research the culture back then to understand to whom it was written to. So keeping that in mind, the perspective of the people back then, the perspective of God in Jesus' time and even in the Old Testament, they saw God more as a distant God, as a judgmental God. They saw God blessing and cursing. They saw God giving life and taking life. They saw God as healing and giving sickness. If you go read and study it. And mostly, if you look at the Jews back then, so when it went bad with a person or it went bad with a, with a nation, they immediately thought it's the, it's the judgment of God. It's the punishment of God. 
When it went well with a person, well with a nation, they thought they're in the blessing of God. It's God blessing them. They're doing something right. We even see that with the disciples in John 9. There was a guy that was born blind, and they immediately asked Jesus, is this because of sin of his parents? That's the way they thought. Now, the upper class Jews back then, the Jews that were very rich, they looked down on the poor and the needy and the sick because they thought they were in the blessing of God. Because they're rich, God is blessing them, everything is well. They thought the poor and the needy was cursed because they must be in sin because look at all the bad stuff that's happening to them. That's the way they thought. And that was one thing that was very grieving in God's eyes. Throughout the Bible, you can see that God constantly spoke through the prophet, say, how long are you going to judge unrighteously? How long are you not going to take care of the poor, uh, deliver the needy, deliver the poor from the wicked? That's even the sin in Ezekiel 16 of Sodom. It was because they said, it says that the people had abundance, but they didn't look after the poor. That was the sin of Sodom. Same with, the, if you go further on, the people had a certain perspective of God, and they thought, okay, God is punishing, God is giving blessing. Okay, so let's just go quickly to Psalm 82. You can turn there, but God also, he says, he's standing in the congregation of the gods, and he's judging among the gods. Now, the gods back then, if the gods still today, the gods, he's speaking about the people, the rulers, all right? It says there, how long are you going to judge unrighteously? How long? He says, defend the poor, defend the needy, deliver them from the wicked. So again, he says, look after the poor. How long are you not going to do that? Okay? In Jesus' time also, he spoke to the Pharisees. He says, stop judging unrighteously. Stop judging by appearance. John 7 verse 24. Stop judging by appearance. He says, judge righteous judgment. And we get that perspective still today in some people. You hear something bad happened or there was a drought in the Cape or a tornado hit the town. Then some people will say, oh, it's a judgment of God. It's still the same perspective. It's not, it, nothing has changed. Now, a lot of times in the Old Testament, when the prophets prophesied about the destruction of a nation or destruction of Jerusalem, it sounded like it's God doing the punishment, God doing the judgment. But then Jesus came in John 5, verse 22. He says, the Father judges no one, no man. Now, there's something that we need to understand about Jesus. He's the only one that perfectly revealed the Father. His number one mission on earth was to reveal the Father. He says in John 17 from verse 4, I'm going to go there quickly. You can turn there, John 17 from verse 4. Listen to this quickly. He says, I have glorified, and I was Jesus praying to God, praying to the Father. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now listen to what Jesus is saying here. He says, I have finished your work. So what was the work that God gave Jesus to do? It's to glorify him. To glorify somebody means you're showing the true value of that person, the true worth of that person, the true character of that person. Then he says, I've declared your name unto the disciples, unto the men you gave me. Declaring a name back in the Hebrew minds, it's essence to a person's character. It's true to a person's character. It revealed the person's character. So when Jesus says, I declared your name, means I've declared your character to the people you gave me. So that was his mission. Because back then the world didn't know him. He says in John 1 verse 18, he says, no man has seen the Father. 
He says, only the son that was in the bosom of the father, Jesus, has declared him. Only Jesus. Matthew 11 verse 27, he says, no man knows the father. And a lot of scriptures in the Bible, in John, especially in John, he says, the world doesn't know me. The world doesn't know me. So Jesus came to change the perspective of the world about the father. Because they had a certain perspective. But they were in error about who God is. Jesus says, I only do and say what I see the Father do and say. I'm the truth, the way, and the life. And then he says, you can only come to the Father but through me. Now, it doesn't mean to say up some prayer in Jesus' name, now you got it. It means Jesus says, I'm the truth of the Father. So only in me you can see who the Father really is and get to know who the Father really is. And that will save you. So to believe in Jesus means to believe who the Father really is. And you know, if you still have a false perspective of somebody, you're not going to enjoy true fellowship with that person. Okay? You're not going to enjoy it. It's always going to be, there's going to be a bit of a wall in between you guys. But if you truly know some person for who that person really is, you can enjoy true high quality fellowship with that person. So to know who God really is can set you free from all the guilt, condemnation, fear of punishment, and all those stuff. So that was Jesus' mission. So when the prophets prophesied about the destruction of some nations and the destruction of Jerusalem, it wasn't God doing the punishment and the judgment. It was God showing them that this is coming. It was consequences of the way they lived, consequences of their decisions that was coming. You see that when Judah, when they were taken captive to Babylon, again, it was consequences of the way they lived. They rebelled against Babylon. The same in Matthew 24. Jesus, when he prophesied about the destruction that was coming, again, it's not God doing the punishment and the, 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 the destruction. He prophesied, said, this is coming. Now, the, it was, again, consequences of the way they lived, consequences of the way they treated the Romans. Because there was a gang in Jerusalem back then called the Zealots. Now, they were constantly fighting the, the Romans. They killed the Romans. They were constantly, at the point they rebelled against the Romans, the Romans just had enough, and they came and destroyed Jerusalem. So that was just, Jesus was warning them. And in the same time, warning them, he wanted to save them. If you read in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, and if you read the context in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it's about the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, God says, I don't want anyone to perish. I want all to come to repentance. So Jesus was warning them and say, okay, this is going to happen. Flee. When you see the signs happening, flee. And interesting enough, you go do your research they say there wasn't one believer left in Jerusalem when the destruction happened. They all fled. Only the unbelieving Jews stayed behind, and they perished when the Romans came. And ironically, that's also how the gospel started to spread over the world, because they fled to other nations and countries, and that's how the gospel spread. So God is not the author of the consequences, but again, He can turn that for the good. All right. Let's go to John 5, verse 22. I'm going to read there again. Everybody turn there. John 5, verse 22. I'm going to read from verse 22 to 27. It says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. 
For as the Father has life in Himself, so has He given to the Son to have life in Himself. Now listen, this is what I want to point out. Listen to the next verse. And has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. So He says, I've given Him authority to execute judgment, because He's the Son of Man. Why? Because in Genesis 1, 26-27, God says, I've created man in my image, and I gave him dominion over all the earth. So dominion over earth has been given to man. Authority to execute judgment has been given to man. So it's only man judging on earth. Psalm 8, God says again there, He says, I've put man, I've put everything under His feet. I've put him over all the works of my hands. Hebrews 2 as well. So authority to execute judgment on earth has been given to man. So for God to judge on earth, He needs to do it through a man, according to His own word. So for God to show forth His righteous judgment, to show forth actually good decision making, He needs to do it through a man. That's why He came in the flesh in Jesus Christ, to show forth righteous judgment. Let's go to Isaiah 42, from verse 1. And Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus here. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the idols shall wait for his law. Now let's go to Matthew 12, where this prophecy is fulfilled. I'm going to read from verse 10 so you guys can get the context of what's going on. It says, And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a counsel against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from things, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So if you read the context of this, what is the judgment that Jesus showed forth there? He says first, he yield to man with a withered hand. And then a multitude followed him and says, he healed them all. So he came to set forth judgment on the earth unto truth of who God really is, his character. So what is God's judgment towards us? What is his decision towards us? To heal you, to make you all. That's how he sees you. All right. Let's go to Luke 4 verse 18. I just want to show you some verses here. Luke 4 verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus speaking, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now again, listen to God's judgment. He says, because he, to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance unto the captives, 
to recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's God's judgment towards man. To heal, to make whole, to save. Okay? Acts 10, verse 38. Again it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Again, that's God's character. Doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus says in John 12, verse 47, he says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. Okay. I came to save the world. Let's go to John 9 quickly. John 9, verse 39. I'm going to read from verse 35 so you guys can understand it better. The whole context of this chapter is a guy that was born blind. And then Jesus healed him. And then the Pharisees came to the guy and they questioned him. But were you really born blind? And they're trying to find out what happened. Was he really born blind? Because they want to accuse Jesus. And then at the end, they cast him out of the temple. Then Jesus found him. And this is what he's saying. From this 35, he says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. The word judgment there is a different word in the Greek. It doesn't mean to make a decision. It means the results of a decision. Okay? So Jesus says, For this results, the results of judgment I came into the world, that the blind might see. That's the judgment he came to set forth on the earth unto truth. Then he also says that they which think they see might be made blind. Because if you think you already know everything, you think you have arrived, that actually that blinds you to the truth. If you don't keep open-minded, it blinds you to the truth. That happened to the Pharisees. Now John 16, verse 8, verse 9, it says, Jesus says, when I go, I will send the comforter to you. And then he says, the comforter will do this. He will convict the world based on these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. I spoke to you last time about the word convict means to give solid evidence, to persuade the person by giving solid evidence. I want to add on to that word. It means also to prove the world that they were wrong by giving them solid evidence. So it says the Holy Spirit will come, proving the world that they were wrong about sin, they were wrong about righteousness, and they were wrong about judgment. First of all, they were wrong about sin. <laughs> they were wrong about sin. Why? Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees called that sin. And Jesus told them, no, it's good to do. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. A second time, Jesus, he said, I'm the son of God. They said it was blasphemy. When Jesus was casting out devils, they said he was casting out devils by the help of the devil. Okay? So the perspective of God was completely twisted. There's a verse in Isaiah 5 verse 20 that says, Woe to the man that calls good evil and evil good. Okay? That puts darkness for light and light for darkness. That's exactly what they did. The perspective of God was so messed up that they called good evil and evil good. Another thing, righteousness. They thought they can get righteous by doing the works of the law. Paul says in Romans 3 verse 20, he says, Through the works of the law, no man shall be justified before God. It's by the righteousness of faith. It's because of God's faith that you are righteous. 
Not what you did or what you didn't do. Judgment, Jesus said to them, don't judge according to appearance. They were constantly judging according to appearance. A guy was poor or a guy was sick. No, God judging. God judging that person, punishing that person. So their judgment was completely, completely off or messed up. All right. So that's what the Holy Spirit came to do. Go to 1 John 1 verse 5. And I want everybody to turn there. I want to, I want to show you something there. Actually, it blowed my mind when I saw that. Now, before we read this, remember the perspective of the Jews back then. They saw God as the life giver, the life taker. They saw him as giving healing and giving sickness. So that was the perspective. Now listen to what John says here. He says, but now this is the message which we have heard of him, of Jesus. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now the word darkness, if you go through the Bible, it is symbolic used for death, destruction, wickedness, evil, blindness, all those stuff. It calls it the works of darkness, all right? Now, listen to what John says. He says, this is now the message we heard of him. Because they had a certain perspective that God is darkness and light. He's doing that and that. He says, but now we heard this message that God is light and there's no darkness at all in him. So that is who God is. He's not the author of life and death. He's only the author of life. He's not the author of sickness and healing. He's only the author of healing. The same with, he's not the author of both light and darkness, only the author of light. Okay. Now, the law of physics says the following. For you to be able to study an object or a body, that object or thing must have energy or transmit energy. So the word cold that we use when it's cold outside or when it's winter actually doesn't exist. It's only a term that we use to describe low levels of heat energy. Only heat has energy. Cold doesn't. So only heat can be measured. So when there's low levels of heat energy or when there's no heat energy, we call that cold. Okay? The same with darkness. It's only the absence of light. Okay? Light consists of photons which have energy. You can measure that. So God is the author of light. So where there's darkness or where there's sickness, it's only the absence of healing, absence of light. All right? So a darkened mind, a guy that uh, walks in darkness, it's only a lack of knowledge of the truth. A lack of knowing God. Okay. 1 John 2. Let's go there quickly. 1 John 2 from verse 9. Listen to this. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded his eyes. So again, Hate has to do with darkness, okay? If you read 1 John 4, it speaks about, it says, those who don't love don't know God because He is love. Then if you read further down, it says, those who fear have not been perfected in love because fear has to do with punishment. So the moment, when you don't know God who He is, you walk in darkness. There's going to be hate. There's going to be fear of punishment. There's going to be the wrong perspective of God. God says in Isaiah 4 verse 6, He says, My people are destroyed by, because of a lack of knowledge. So if you go back to Genesis 1 from verse 1 and 2, He says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then it says, The earth was formless and void. The word formless and void means empty. means there's nothing. It's a lack of life. Okay? There's no life there. Then He says, The, the darkness was on the face of the deep. Absence of light. 
What happened after that? Light be. God says light be. Separate the darkness from the light. So all that darkness and it's only the absence of light. Absence of that. Okay. John 10 verse 10 as well. He says there that, let me go to John 1 verse 4 first. Light has to do with life. Okay. If you read John 1 verse 4, it says in Jesus, in the word, there was life. And that life was the light of men. So life is light. Light is life. So when God said, let there be light, what happened? Then he started created living. Life came on earth. Okay. Light has to do with life. John 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Then Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and life more in abundance. So God is not the author of killing or destroying or stealing. He's the author of life because he's light and there's no darkness in him at all. Okay. So a darkened mind is only the absence of knowing who God is. It's only the absence of knowing who God is. Paul speaks a lot about it. He's speaking about that in Ephesians, Colossians 1 and 3. He says, I pray that you will come into the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, he says, God wants everybody to be saved and comes into the knowledge of the truth. So you can walk in the light where God is. So there's a lot of people, well not, let me say some people, but there's still some people thinking that God is the author of sickness and, 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 and healing. I've met some people, they just refuse for me to pray for them. Because they think they have to go through this sickness. They have to go through this punishment because God is punishing them because of something they did wrong. So they're suffering because of their wrong perspective of God. There's a favorite saying also among some people, no, in God's time, He will heal me. That perspective again, it's thinking God will heal you later. He doesn't want to heal you now. Same perspective. God is the health of your body. He is the life of your body. Colossians 3, He's the life of you. He is your life. He is the health of your body. James 1 says that God cannot be tempted by evil. And He Himself doesn't tempt any man. Then if you go down, James 1 verse 17, He says, Every good giving and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The word variation and shadow of turning means there's no change in Him. He doesn't change. That means God is the same before creation, throughout creation, till now, and will be forever. He wasn't one way before the cross, now He's another way after the cross. He's the same. He was always like Jesus. But man's perspective saw Him different. Man's perspective portrayed Him different. So sometimes we see in the Old Testament that God was not portrayed as this loving Father. Sometimes He was portrayed of, the, of this judgmental, punishing God. But that was their perspective of God. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, it was John 5, he says that in the scriptures you think you have eternal life, but they are testifying about me. The scriptures they had back then was the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and that, that's all they had. He says, in there you think you have eternal life, but they are pointing to me. Okay? John 17 verse 3 says, eternal life is to know the Father and the Son. So we need to read the Old Testament in the correct context it was written, okay? 1 Corinthians 3 says that as long as Moses and the Old Covenant is read, there's a veil on their eyes, on their hearts, a veil on their hearts. Why? Because it wasn't a true reflection of who God is. You can find Jesus all over the Old Testament, but it's pointing to Him. And many times there are some parts where it, where it reveals something of the Father. 
but mostly it's pointing to the person. In Hebrews 9, we see that the law is a shadow. It's a shadow, but not, it's not the very image. Now, if you want to know a person again, are you going to stare at this shadow and spend time with the shadow? You're never going to get to know that person because a shadow is not revealing who the person is. Okay? It's only pointing to the person. You need to turn your eyes to the person himself. Get to know the person himself to get to know that person. Okay? The same with the old covenant. It's pointing. It's a shadow. It's pointing to the person of Jesus. So you need to spend time with the person of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 says, the moment you turn your eyes to the person, to Jesus, the veil is removed. Okay? That's who God is. He was only revealed in Jesus Christ. He was a true character of, the, of, of, of God's personality. All right? He says in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He was the express image of His person. Colossians 1 is the visible image of the invisible God. He came to reveal the Father to us. John 1 verse 7, he says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So only in Jesus you can see who the Father really, really is. Let's go to John 12, 31. I'm going to close with this. John 12, verse 31. So now it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The word men is not in the original Greek there. The context is judgment. So Jesus is saying, when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all judgment unto myself. Okay? Now, it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now, if I say the kindness of Andre, do I mean somebody was kind to him or he, it's his kindness? It's his kindness. So when it says, now is the judgment of this world, it means it's the judgment of the world, not God. The judgment the world is dishing out. You understand what I'm saying? And many times in the gospel we read the Pharisees that plotted against Jesus. They had counsel how they might destroy him, how they might crucify him. And then when Pilate, when he showed Jesus, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Even after the cross, when Peter preached Acts 2 and Acts 3, he says, you crucified him. You crucified him. Wasn't God punishing Jesus on the cross? He said, you crucified him. So when it says, now is the judgment of this world, it speaks about that Jesus took all the judgment, all the hate, all the violence of the people on himself. Wasn't God punishing him? It says God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5. God was in Christ. 1 John 3 verse 16 says, He says, Hereby we understand the love of God, that he laid down his life. It was God that laid down his life himself in Christ. For his creation. So God laid down his life for his creation by himself. He took all those violence, all those hate, that judgment on himself to fill all those dark places with his love. To fill all that hate, all that violence with his love. To set man free. In Ephesians 4 verse 10 it says, He that descended also ascended that he might fill all things. So Jesus went into the hell of man's thinking. Into the hell of man's violence, into the hell of man's hate, to fill all those places with his love. That's the love of God. And that's why John says, hereby we know and understand the love of God. He laid down his life. He laid down his life to cleanse your conscience from dead works, to cleanse your evil conscience, okay? To fill those dark places with his light, that he might fill all things.
So to get to know God, you need to spend time with the person. You need to focus on Jesus. He's the person. He's the express image of his person. You don't spend time with a shadow. Sometimes you know a shadow can, be, can actually be misleading. Sometimes a shadow doesn't even look close to the person or the image. Okay? So you need to turn your eyes to the person of Jesus to see who God really is. And focus on, on him. He's a loving father. He's only good. He has always just been good. Always. There's no darkness in him. So this is the message that we heard of him. That God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, now we're going to do something different today. If you feel any pain in your body or you just want a, a greater revelation of who God is. Or you just want to experience the love of God just in a fresh way. I want you to put your hand on yourself today. Okay? When you feel pain, put your hand on that pain. Now I want you to, if there's pain, command the pain to go out of your body. And you thank God after that for His life, His healing in your body. Same when you, if you want to experience His love, just say, Father, overwhelm me with your love. Now. Overwhelm my heart with your love. Give me a greater revelation of who you are. Because when you get that revelation, it will change your life forever. If you get the right perspective of God, it will change your life. It will save you. It will save you. Because His judgment toward you, it's only He wants to see you healed, whole, and safe. Thank you, Father, that you are only good. You are only love. You are only light. Thank you, Father. Reveal yourself to your people. Thank you, Father. And command that pain to go. You have authority over your own body. God is the health of your body. He is the life of your body. He is the provision of your life. Thank you, Father. Just keep on praying. Keep on praying. Just experience the love of God. He first loved you. We love Him because He first loved us. He so loved the world and sent His only Son. Father, I thank You for every person standing here. And I ask You that You reveal Yourself to them in a much deeper way than ever before. That they will experience your love in a fresh new way than ever, ever before. Experience your love every day, Father. I command every dark place to be filled with your light and your love right now. Every dark place to be filled with your light and love right now. Every dark place. I command every sickness, get out of this place right now. Leave. Right now. Leave in Jesus' name. You're not welcome here. Every place, Father, every heart, fill it with your light and love right now. Every hidden motive, fill it with your love right now. Fill it. Overwhelm it, Father. Overwhelm every heart here, Father. Fill it, Father, in Jesus' name. Fill every part of their bodies with your love, with your healing, with your life right now, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Just experience the love of God. Let Him fill all those places. Everything, every area of your life right now. 